0: Landline radio. Landline radio. energy no filter. oh yeah all right how about that uh how about that music I want to th- again thank Becca and Fred for recording that awesome intro um, joined by a very fascinating character who I was able to meet uh, a few weeks ago we'll talk about how um, his name is Oren
1: Siebert oren how you doing I'm doing fine. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: No, thank you for, for doing this. We're actually at the uh, Alaska Aviation Museum here at uh, near Lake Hood, and a uh, very appropriate location because you are, um, have you been referred to as a few people I've talked to as an aviation legend in Alaska, <laughs> or tycoon?
1: Well, separate from that, the Aviation Museum, um, I've been helping since, for over 30 years, since at least 1980, when I first met Ted Spencer and... Uh, uh, I just believe it, it, in, in that this facility is, is so important to preserve and present uh, Alaskan aviation history it's, because beca- it's, it's unique in the whole nation.
0: That's very, yeah, no, the, I, I fly, you know, it's, it's just a very unique history. Um, and that's why I'm happy to have you. So you actually, you started uh, Penn Air. Yes. Correct? Yes. Wh- what
1: year did you start, start it? Well, that was 1955. Uh, I, I lived in Pilot Point uh, out in Bristol Bay.
0: 1955.
1: Yeah, I was just a kid just out of high school. A- actually, I brought the plane up before I graduated. Well, the day I graduated from high school in Seattle, I jumped. I'd already had the plane. What kind of plane was it? A TaylorCraft. A oh, two, Taylor, Yeah, I know TaylorCraft. A TaylorCraft. And um, I was brought to Pilot Point in 1949. My mother was a school teacher. And Dad worked in the Bremerton Navy Yard. And after the war, he lost his job, of course. And so mom decided to go to Alaska and teach school, and Pilot Point was her first assignment.
0: So, so there's even today there's still kind of this mystical fascination about Alaska. People travel yes. a lot, but what was it like in 1949? What, what was the perception, or what was the when you heard about Alaska? What did you what did you What was in your mind? What, well, did, what did you think? I,
1: I was 13 years old. I didn't know. All I knew was my mom drug me up out of my, my friends at my school down there, and I was kicking and screaming every inch of the way. And then we got to Pilot Point. was just a little mostly native village of 80 people. But we had the Bristol Bay Salmon Run, so there was some economy there. And uh, I, I, we, she, she spent four years there, and I grew up. And being in that little village, um, I, I, I just wanted to go explore the mountains were 30 miles away and lakes and all the animals and everything that Alaska has to offer it just kind of interested me but I couldn't take advantage of it without being able to fly
0: I was going to say you need an aer- you need an airplane yeah
1: so so I learned that was my, my motivation I learned to fly while I was in, still in high school brought the plane up in 1954 and uh, well there was another reason and by that time I'm 17 right? Well, there was no girls my age in Pilot Point, <laughs> so I had to get out of there to go find one, and that was another reason for getting the airplane. That's maybe maybe even a better reason. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to make trips for down to Chignik, for instance, and I found one down there, and we were married for 42 years, eight kids, and
0: wow, eight kids
1: uh, lived, and two of them still live in Pilot Point.
0: Are they all in Alaska? All oh yeah, eight?
1: they're all here, and mostly in the Anchorage area, but two of them still live in. One of them um, isn't. Penn Air still, right? Uh, my, my son Danny, D- Danny, is, right? Is now the CEO and runs the airline.
0: Right, yeah. So I've yeah. I've I've heard of somebody yeah. I talked to about you mentioned him and,
1: and and then his brother, yeah. He's he's I'm totally not in a position of authority except I'm still his father.
0: Well, there's maybe that's the most <laughs> the, the biggest position of authority.
1: <laughs> and then his brother Lloyd is one of our most senior captains, director of operations. And so those two sons are heavily involved in that. So you started Penner with the Taylorcraft. Well, uh, when I realized that uh, I used to take sick people up to Dillingham to the hospital, uh, the only hospital in the area. And I was down there in Chignik area, which had literally no air service at all. Uh, and somebody would get sick or get hurt, and they needed help. And I'd I say or would say, go take him to the... Well, nobody, no, I was there, and I saw the situation, and I'm, I had the only airplane, so I'd throw them in my plane and fly them up to Dillingham, to the hospital up there. That first winter, 54 and 55, I did that three or four times that winter. And one day, the uh, medical officer in charge called me over, and he said, son, I was 19 by then, son, if you'd get one of these commercial licenses... I got a budget, I can pay you for this for these trips. Oh, bingo. And I thought, gee, that's a pretty good idea.
0: So you had like a private license at that point.
1: Yeah, just private. And so I went and got my commercial, and, uh, and the next spring is when I traded the T-Craft in for a Piper Tri-Pacer. So I tripled my seating capacity from one passenger to three. So
0: you sold the TaylorCraft, or you traded it? or
1: traded it to a guy that – this was a used Tri-Pacer, and – and it j- just, you know, my first n- uh, new airplane experience was 57 uh, probably. By then I was, and I was fishing salmon in the summer. And, you know, for a kid my age to make a couple 3,000 bucks in a month, that's pretty amazing. We were Yeah, so back then too. That's w- Especially back bad. then. Wow, that's so, a lot of money. So I, it w- uh, in retrospect, it was so fortunate for me to grow up in that, in that Bristol Bay region. And, um,
0: so what? When? Do, uh, so why? Why you just you're on the peninsula and you just why Panera? Just Peninsula Peninsula? Well, Air?
1: okay. It started out Peninsula Airways because in my wildest dreams I could not imagine doing anything but flying up and down between King Salmon as far as Coal Bay and the Alaska Peninsula. So I named it Peninsula Airways. And uh, and later on w- when we set up our Anchorage operation in the mid '80s. Uh, we'd get calls, people wanting to go to Kenai and Homer, uh, thinking of the peninsula. Kenai yeah, the so <laughs> besides, just difficult to pronounce and difficult to spell, Pennsylvania and all that. Especially when you get a, maybe eventually, when you some point had a website, you know. It's so the customers is the ones that started calling us PenAir, and eventually I thought, well, that was a pretty good. So the PenAir is the actually a um, what do you call it? Uh, LLC or no no nickname abbreviation, nickname. abbreviation. Yeah. yeah nickname Pin air and so that's the name we use
0: so you started the 55 you had the plane and then um i guess you realized there was more more business or more opportunity and you yeah more planes uh, more pilots was, was there an event that something happened where you said wow this is we're going to really start to grow no, or no just slow
1: no, no i never had any every time i made a and i saw, i would see an opportunity a particular opportunity and i would yeah take advantage of it and expand and i thought man i got it made now
0: what about the, what about when oil, the pipeline type no, later when the no. pipeline see
1: we have never been much involved in the oil industry had nothing to do with the pipeline and uh, there was a little bit of seismic exploration that i supported some of those companies but no we're we're totally dependent on the seafood industry
0: so, um,
1: what and the locals, of course.
0: Right. So, what? what um, when, when did you get your first? You know, multi-engine plane or
1: pick bigger? Oh, 1963. It's when I bought the Widgeon because I was flying primarily in the Chignik area. Again, uh, Chignik is on the Pacific side of the peninsula mm-hmm. between Kodiak and Sandpoint, and it has Chignik as a large freshwater lake system. It's the largest sockeye salmon uh, run outside of Bristol Bay, in the state.
0: So you said the Widgeon, so that's kind of how we met. It's uh, an amphibian. W- Widgeon's a Grumman Widgeon. That's Grumman, yeah, a uh, little were, bit smaller than a Grumman Goose, right? Yeah, the
1: Goose was originally built in 1936, and then uh, when the war came along, uh, the Navy and Coast Guard wanted uh, more amphibians, and so um, they built the, the Widgeon, the smaller one, and the Mallard, the bigger one, and the Albatross. Um, but the 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 Chignik had a the Alaska Packers had the biggest uh, seafood plant, again between Kodiak and Sandpoint, or Dutch Harbor really, and uh, the transportation was was just very minimal. Reeve had a Grumman Goose base cleared on at Cole Bay 200 miles the other direction, uh-huh. from where all the traffic wanted to go, which was Anchorage, and so it was, and and. <laughs> And Dick Reeve knows this. Uh, they, frankly, they were giving terrible service to those people. But I was there. I was I was making trips every day, back and forth to King Salmon. So you it, saw
0: another opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, it just kind of grew because, again, people had a need, and I was there. So I supplied that need. And uh, there was two airlines serving King Salmon with daily flights to Anchorage.
0: And it's funny you mentioned the widget. That, that's how we met because I, was, uh, I saw dot, Senator Don, Donny Olson – a month ago at an event and he mentioned that he had just bought a Widgeon on the east coast and i i jokingly asked him if i could maybe go go cuz I've, I've never been in like a real amphibious aircraft and i said can i go for a ride and he actually agreed and he called me a week later and, and said come out you know meet me at the Merrill and that's where i met you and you actually flew the Widgeon back from boston with senator olson
1: well i we we took turns we He's a outstanding pilot in his own right.
0: Yeah, no, he was great. We flew helicopter out helicopter
1: pilot. Uh, we, we
0: he's a, he's a lawyer and a
1: doctor he's too. He's a doctor. Right? He's a licensed. He's a, a real MD. He's, a, he's the. Besides being uh, a state senator, that's the trifecta. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we
0: flew out to Mount Susit and we landed on this lake and yeah. it was uh you know first time on a real amphibious air, aircraft and when you get off the step you know you you drop about I don't know a few feet into the water. Yeah. It, was a,
1: it was kind of an awkward feeling, but he didn't have. He, much experience in water operation with multi engine airplanes. And that's why he wanted me to go with him.
0: How long, so how long did it take you guys to fly from, from uh, Boston?
1: W- we, we we didn't rush. Uh, we spread it out over three or four days, I guess, Boston to Seattle to...
0: And in, interestingly enough, this aircraft, this particular aircraft, used to belong to Jimmy Buffett. Yes. And I think I, I looked it up. It looks like he might have crashed this back in
1: '94. Ni- he crashed it in Long Island Sound.
0: On takeoff, or, or I think it well, was takeoff. Well, well, right? first
1: of all, um, he 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 of course was a pilot and flew down in the Key West is where he really grew. He has a, I think he has a goose too, right? Or a couple, maybe now a couple. He, of them. Now he no, now he's got the albatross. Albatross, right? The, the biggest one. Um, but anyway, he, he he wanted to have a Grumman, and he didn't have any experience in him at all. So he asked around, and somebody in Miami recommend gave him my name. And he wanted to get some experience in the, in the Grumman. And he came to Alaska, right? Yes, yeah, so I was on the ramp at King Salmon one day, and the gal came out and said, Jimmy Buffett wants to talk to you. No way. And I said, who's Jimmy Buffett? I didn't really? know. Oh. oh,
0: I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. When, well, when I am now. When Donnie told me that, I was like, wow. I, his fans are called Parrot Heads. Exactly. So I'm, a, I'm a Parrot Head.
1: Oh, I've been to his shows in Seattle. and I was in one in Vegas years ago. It was, and, it was uh, so, But he came up in 90, about 91 or so. Spent three days with me, and we flew between Dutch Harbor and King Salmon. So you, were you, are, you
0: are you an instructor?
1: Not licensed, no.
0: But so but he eventually got his. He had his
1: own rating, so he didn't. He just needed the experience. Okay, wow. And, and I gave him some experience. That's incredible. And then he was going to get a goose. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so he went back to Key West. And he had a a base in New York City, too, a studio or something. Uh, And instead of getting a goose, he bought a widget And he bought that particular plane you're talking about. And he flew it from—he lived in Long Island and and flew back and forth from Long Island to—you could land right in the East River and pull up at the foot of Wall Street. Wow. In fact, that's how the goose was originally designed. Leroy Grumman lived um, in—the airport was called Bethpage on Long Island, and everybody in the Hamptons, of course, all these rich businessmen, uh-huh. wanted to go back and forth to, to, to Manhattan. And, you know, it's a hell of a long drive. So he actually designed the Grumman Goose, built it in 1936, so he could fly the businessmen, take off at Bethpage Airport, and, oh. and, and land in the uh, river, and they're right at the foot of Wall Street. And that's what the birth of the Goose was then the wigeon was forced into service during the, but anyway Jimmy Buffett <clears throat> when he went back to back east uh, instead of buying a goose he bought this particular wigeon and a wigeon is much trickier to fly on the water it's got a short hull and, and it tends to porpoise if it's not handled just right and, okay. and rough water you got to be very careful and he was uh, taken off I understand and uh, went across a boat wake you Know the swell yeah, co- behind, behind the bow, <laughs> yeah, which the- is, is bad news. And, and he lost control. I started porpoising, lost control. It actually turned over. Oh my gosh! And, and he was lucky to get out alive. He I was, was gonna p- say, just because
0: mm-hmm. I was in the I flew with Don- Senator Olson and I was actually thinking about that. If, if this yeah. would be hard to get out because there's the one exit in the back,
1: yeah, all you get, uh, you got the sliding window in the cockpit, and, and he was able to. He was skinny enough. He, oh, I
0: was like, I couldn't get out of that. <laughs> I ain't getting out of that cockpit. That, that he
1: was—that's the only thing that saved his life. But
0: so um, it's incredible. So Donnie, he s- saw this, and he—did he, you re- realize it was at his plane or not till later? When he, no, he—No, I he... didn't.
1: That I learned that later. Uh,
0: Interesting. So there used <coughs> to be, um, in, in Penair and other people. There used to be a lot of widgeons and gooses in Alaska, right? I guess when there was few, fewer runways.
1: Around? Exactly. There's so many runways being built, and the airplane is uh, obviously it's heavy, so it's weight limited. It's slow. It's expensive to maintain. You got the uh, water corrosion, and it's just uh, economically it's not near as good of an airplane if you can go from runway to runway with an with an airplane with the same power, but, but can't land. On and obviously,
0: one. over over time, they're. I mean, how many more? I wonder how many more runways there are in Alaska now than there were in the '50s or '60s. Well, quite probably. a bit. Hundreds, I, yeah. I bet.
1: Uh, but if I could go back uh, to the beginnings of, of my widget, one of the main justifications was again Chignik. All all of these Aleutian ports are on the ocean, right? Means seawater. Means tides. The tide comes in. The tide goes out. So all these guys here on Lake Hood and, and them, this is a lake. It, the elevate the water doesn't change but on in the ocean the tide comes in, tide comes out so with a straight float plane you want to park it on the beach the tide is either coming in or going out, it's either way you got a problem Yeah, you can't park it for exactly. not too long but with the Grumman you land in the water, you put the wheels down taxi up on the beach and park it. When you want to leave you just taxi back down in the water pull the wheels up and take off and that's a very unique airplane that way.
0: So, where did you, the first one you bought, was it in Alaska or did you have to buy it out of uh, out of, uh Yeah, I bought state? it in Kodiak.
1: I bought it from a Kodiak operator and I owned that airplane for 37 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, what, what, um, <clears throat> but we couldn't justify it anymore either.
0: So, you started with the one plane, but wh- what, are, what, are, what are they at now, Penner? How many
1: planes? Well, at one point we were running 40 airplanes, but <clears throat> because we were doing all the village service to the small villages. And uh, Danny decided that wasn't feasible, and he was right. Economically, it was not a good business, even though it was the business that I built the company with. And now we're into airliner-type airplanes operating out of Anchorage, just going to the major points.
0: Yeah, no, I see them all the time out here. Yeah. So I, you have this book here you brought along. <laughs> looks like a great—I'm going I'm, to—thank you for this. I'm going to read this. That's a goose. You Breathe, I Fly. The Oren Siebert Penn Air Story.
1: Because uh, the, I picked that title because... Well, oh, and you signed it, too. Look at that. Yeah, I signed it for you. Wow, thank you. Uh, because that's the only thing I've ever done. I started flying when I was 15, the, the legal minimum age. was well, Jay Hammond? Jay was our governor from 76 to 84. Right. Well, he also settled, after he left the uh, the, the Air, Force, Air Corps or whatever it was, uh, after the war ended, anyway, he ended up in, in Alaska. He ca- decided to come to Alaska because he was intrigued by Alaska. And he picked Bristol Bay. So he settled in in naknik He met Bella. Bella is a, 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 one of the Gardner family from Clarks Point. And so he married her and, and settled there. I was 14 when I first met him because he used to fly down to a pilot point. He was working for the Fish and Wildlife Service by then. And, God, he was my hero and my idol. And, and he was, a, by then I was just, he was at least part of the reason I decided to learn to fly before, well, long before any business. And uh, so, yes, Jay and I were very, very, he gave me a lot of advice over the years.
0: He's he's really kind of um, being talked about a lot more these days now with all the permanent yeah. fund stuff because he was kind of the father. He of the, was the father of the so permanent fund. He's, he's fun. being talked about a lot more um, recently than... Yep, In the past. So the book, uh, where, where can folks get the book, The You Breathe, I Fly?
1: Oh, it's only available here at the Aviation Museum. Okay, It's 20 bucks, and I gave them all to the museum. I, I get nothing out of it. I don't need, I don't care. But I gave them all to the museum, and so all the proceeds goes to the museum to support the operations here.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to read this. It looks very interesting. And there's a lot of pictures, too, which are yeah, which are nice. So... Um, so what are you what are you doing now with the museum? You're you're just helping out. You're- well, I'm
1: just a loyal board member. I was the uh, chairman for mm, six eight years, back in the early turn of the century, and we made some pretty major improvements then. But it's it's getting to be, in, and of course there's never enough money. Uh, we really struggled. People say we're out of money today. Well, they should have been here 15 years ago. Some of the board members. Mm-hmm. We got a very good board, and. Uh, they're, they're, do, they're doing a lot of good things, and I'm supporting any way I can.
0: That's great. I love coming here. I, like, I love the old planes, yeah. and it's a, it's a great museum. I guess, so what would you say, question I'm wondering, what, what's the biggest difference now in a- Alaskan aviation than there was when you started the airline?
1: Well, I think it's gotten a lot more. Uh, <clears throat> we've all gotten a lot more safety conscious because the, Alaska— Small airplane aviation does have a pretty bad reputation, and there have been a number of problems. But the uh, facilities, the nav aids, and the equipment like GPS now and uh, Loran. <clears throat> um, so you you flown a lot. What's this? What's the scariest
0: thing that ever happened to you or?
1: Well, of course, I damn near killed myself. I had a major accident. Really, when when at, was that? In 1968. At one of the Aleutian Islands, out of Cole Bay, and uh, I had a, by that time I had a contract with Reeve to help do some of their small village work because they were having trouble doing it. And again, yeah. you know, th- the money's in the in the big airline operation, and that's what Reeve evolved into and did very well uh, until they shut down ADAC and he lost six thousand passengers in thirty days.
0: That was when they had the Electras, right?
1: They had the Electras and and the seven two sevens. They ended up with two seven two seven. They they ran a seven two seven to ADAC, a- Anchorage to ADAC, six days a week, round trip, full both ways.
0: That was mil- mil- I imagine military. All military. There yeah. wow. was six
1: thousand um, military personnel stationed out there. It's a sub base and. Uh, radio detection early warning system. And
0: they even oh. had a McDonald's, didn't they? Oh yeah, I had a McDonald's, <sighs> oh. uh, an
1: Olympic-sized swimming pool, a nice school. Uh, it was it was a it was a quite a community, and the government <coughs> uh, was the navy or whatever. The government just shut it down overnight, and like I say, for six thousand people, within thirty days, were all gone. Now there's about two hundred people living out there there goes there, there goes that business yeah exactly and that's really what crippled reeve
0: so what happened with this uh this accident you had
1: oh uh, that was Sanac island <clears throat> well i had this deal with reeve where i went down there and spent a week when the pilot was on vacation or whatever and uh, and made the flights to the the villages in the Col bay area which is a couple hundred miles away from where i lived in pilot point <clears throat> So that particular, it was December 16th, so the middle of December of 68, I had been there. I was supposed to spend, I usually spent four to five days, did that work, and then went back home again until the next week. Well, that particular period of time, it was an extreme Aleutian weather. What can I, blizzards, storms. I had been stuck in Cold Bay for nine days and uh, unable to uh, finish the job, and I wouldn't leave till I finished the job. And this was the last trip I had to make, so it was a classic case of get homitis. The weather had cleared, but it was still blowing pretty hard. And this uh, little harbor is only 1,500 feet long, and the wind was blowing 90 degrees, straight crosswind. Oh. And I flew over, and I thought, oh, well, landing's easy, but I might have a problem getting out of there. But I'll handle it, you know? So I landed, loaded up this, it was a doctor and two nurses, ironically, from the hospital here in Anchorage. And uh, loaded them up and uh, bottom line is I, I didn't make it. So I ended up running out of water and, uh, and airspeed all at the same time and um, we crashed up on the head of the beach, inverted, the plane burned. Uh, luckily I was, I was unconscious. And, uh, what about the other passengers? Everybody? The doctor it was sitting in the front with me. He was unconscious also. The two nurses in the back were okay, because the plane turned over and skidded upside down, so there was no real impact. So everyone everyone that, survived. That, everyone that's, survived. What, that's what saved our lives. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jeez. Uh, and in fact, the nurses pulled me and the doctor out of the cockpit because the nose had broken clear off, so we were just laying there. What, what kind of plane was it? The Widgeon. Widgeon. Same kind of Widgeon. Yeah and uh it was totaled oh yeah it's still late as far as i know it still lays there to this day on snack island
0: Ooh, we should we should go we should maybe we should go out there sometime <laughs> there ain't that much left we can do a podcast I, from out there
1: there's a picture of it in there it's, it's okay I'll, yeah i'll take a look yeah and the story's in there well oran
0: i really appreciate you coming you uh agreeing to do the podcast i i think we could you know talk for hours and we well, can maybe we can do another one uh, down, down i, I the appreciate
1: the opportunity jeff and um and yes, I do have some political views that I learned from Jay Hammond. Wait, and, uh,
0: maybe we can do another one and talk about talk about that. Or
1: I've been ra- writing a few letters to the editor, and um, I, I I don't know. I'm just getting into this thing, leading up to the primary election, which is only about six weeks six away. Six weeks well. away. Yeah.
0: Well, if you have anything, you ever want to write or ideas mm-hmm. or thoughts, you're more than welcome to send them you. to me for uh, the. Don't,
1: don't, you'll be hearing from me. the
0: landmine, and we'll we'll, um, we'll we'll take. We'll take submissions from all kinds of different people and, and
1: voices. So we will be hearing from
0: me. Well, I appreciate you um, talking with me, Oren. It's been great here at the museum. V- very fitting location to uh, to talk to Oren Siebert, founder of Penn Air, Alaskan aviation legend, as you've been called by several people. So thanks again, um, and uh, thank you all for listening. If you want to do a podcast or you have any ideas of people that might want to do a podcast with me, let me know. Um, this has been Jeff Landfield, Landmine Radio um, with Oren Siebert. We'll uh, talk to you next time.